God is good, amen? If you got your Bibles, turn. Let's read verses 1 through 11. Announcements are done. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every good work that you do in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray everyone would be encouraged uh, in you as we watch uh, these young men and women dedicate their lives to you publicly through the sacrament of baptism. Lord Jesus, it's exciting to to re-experience our own baptisms as we see others who love you and want to publicly profess your name uh, in their lives as, as king and lord of their lives. Lord Jesus, may we be encouraged, but now even more so, Speak into the depths of who we are as your people. Lord Jesus, you have a plan. Your will, your sovereign, eternal will is for us to be here at this moment, in this time, in this generation. Help us to hear from you that we may fulfill your will. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And every Christian said, amen. Mm. I'm not feeling that Georgia loss so much anymore. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. God is good. And listen, if you are new or visiting, I apologize. <laughs> you are probably going to walk out of this service today thinking this church is just like every other church because we're talking about giving the collection of the saints today here in chapter 16. But I want you to know, I grew up in that church. There was a 10-minute time where someone preached a little sermonette on giving, and they took up an offering, and if they didn't get exactly what they wanted, they'd come back and take a second offering. And then I've even been in church services where a third offering was taken at the end. Uh, And yeah, that's crazy. We're not that church. We've never taken up an offering. There's two boxes in the back that people who can cheerfully give uh, are able to worship the Lord with their money. But let me make one thing very clear right up front. God does not need your money. What is money anyway? It's paper. And it's only paper ever since we got off the gold standard. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's, wor- it's worthless. It's just paper. Woo! 
God, so many churches, so many Christians get so obtuse and, and unorganized in their theological minds when it comes to money. But money is just a part of our life and ministry does cost money so uh, it takes money to do ministry to be a church just this building itself costs a lot of money pastor nick planting in kennesaw he knows everything there is to know about square foot dollar amounts for commercial spaces amen it costs money uh, but god doesn't need our money if you don't hear anything else i say today hear this and God doesn't need your money. You're not helping him out by writing a check and putting it in a box. God owns the cattle on a thousand. What kind of terrible religion would it be if God needed human dollars? Right? So, so, don't, so don't buy into that prosperity gospel nonsense. That is not what Paul believes. It's not what Paul writes or preaches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at giving today God's way. Uh, and I hope that you will be encouraged by it. And I hope if your wallet is unconverted. right? Martin Luther says... Famously, there's three conversions that happen in a person's life. The first conversion is of the heart, right? Jesus Christ shows himself to us and we believe him. For so We see our sin in the mirror. We repent of our sin. We trust Jesus, his perfect life, his sacrificial death to save us from our sins. That's the conversion of the heart. The next conversion is of the mind. We begin to study scripture. How does the Bible say discipleship occurs? How does the Bible say we grow in maturity by the renewing of our mind. We're thinking all the wrong thoughts. God's word helps us to think the right thoughts. So we're saved by believing in Jesus, a conversion of the heart. We're, we're grown in Christ Jesus through the renewing of our mind. And then Luther says the last conversion is that of the wallet because it, God wants more than just our breath. He wants more than just our hands and our feet. He wants every part of our lives and the wallet is a part it's, it's where we find security so many of you, you look in your bank account and you see the zeros followed uh following some number and you feel secure you're ready for retirement but 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 god wants every bit of our lives even our security we should be secure in christ not in the amount of zeros in our retirement account amen so let me begin with a story. I want to tell you why I love and hate Dave Ramsey. I thought some of you might get a kick out of that. Here's why I hate Dave Ramsey. He's a liar. Dave Ramsey has written in books, and I've heard him speak many times. He's a great guy. I don't really hate him. But he says... That 90% of what Jesus preaches in the Gospels is about money. And that's just not true. We have walked through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, 
the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John. We're going to study the Gospel of Luke in 2025. Probably going to spend two years in the Gospel of Luke. I have read every parable. I know what Jesus proclaimed in his sinless life and sacrificial death. I know his life and ministry. And 90% of what he says is not about money. This shows us that when you become so single focused on one issue, you see it everywhere when it's not really there in its context. There's a lot of people that read the Bible wrong, amen? No? Okay. I wish you could have heard some of the debates I had on spiritual gifts with my family at the Thanksgiving table. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we get heated about theology uh, in my family, but we love each other, so it's, it's good. Um, Jesus doesn't talk just about money. Now, now, he does have some things to say about money. We're going to read some of the things that, that God says about money today, but it's not oh, money is just one aspect of our multifaceted lives in which Jesus claims all Right? There's not one, uh, Abraham Cooper uh, famously said, there's not one little square inch of grass in this earth that God does not call mine. He wants all of us, and that includes our wallets. Let me tell you why I love Dave Ramsey. Sorry, why do I hate him? Because he's a liar. Why do I love him? And why should you read his books? And why should you do the debt snowball? Because being out of debt is awesome. My dad loves me. Young people, I want you to hear this because you might not have a dad that loves you. But when a dad loves you, he sits you down and he talks straight with you. When dad saw that my intentions were to marry Sarah, this beautiful blonde haired girl that I fell in love with, man, I love her and I love her still today. Praise God for marriage. Woo! I'm going to pray. Sarah, I need to see you in my office. I love her. Love her. I'm glad somebody got a kick out of that. (laughs) Because I feel kind of weird about it now. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I publicly apologize. (laughs) I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Uh, When dad saw my intentions were to marry this girl, He sat me down and he gave me the talk. Not the talk, but the talk about money. (laughs) I was 20. He didn't have to have the talk. (laughs) My dad never, I have to talk with both my boys. My dad never had the talk with me. I don't know, I think it's part of their generation, but wow, so off track. (laughs) Wow, what is happening? Dadgum Alabama. Dad sat me down and he said, how are you going to take care of this girl that you say you love? If you love her, you're going to be able to take care of her. So I graduated. Sarah was a a semester behind me. I graduated. I got a job. I went, found a house. I had the, the income coming in so that when I married Sarah, I could take care care of her. If, if your dad has that talk with you, it's not because he's a mean old curmudgeonly guy like Pastor Jeremy, which by the way is the biggest joke in our church. There is no better people than the Brandon family. Amen. They are the sweetest, best, godliest people that I know. When I need spiritual advice, I call Jeremy, um, just so you know. 
he's that guy. Uh, man, you guys are not loving on Jeremy. <laughs> you should just some. Get back to the jokes, Brent. What am I even talking about? Oh, if your dad loves you, he's going to have that talk. Well, you got to take care of the one you want to marry. Now, now here's what happened. I was an idiot in college. They sent me, there was a, a stand out in the Ped Mall, right, the pedestrian area of the college, and there was a table set up that was like, hey, fill this out, and you get a free T-shirt. And I'll, I'm like, all my clothes are on the floor, so a new T-shirt would be great. So I fill out the thing, and they sent me, I don't know why, but they sent me a credit card. How many of you been there? College, credit cards, free shirts, free koozies, whatever, whatever it is they're giving away to get you a credit card. I was an idiot. My parents, by God's grace, paid for my college education, so I didn't have school debt, but man, did I ring up some credit card debt. How many of you remember 007, GoldenEye on the Nintendo 64? Had to have four controllers. Those controllers weren't cheap. Cha-ching! Mountain bikes. Everybody was into mountain bikes. I bought a mountain bike for me. I bought a mountain bike for Sarah. Could I afford it? Nope. Cha-ching! I had $10,000 worth of credit card debt when I married Sarah. You're welcome, baby. <laughs> now let me tell you about her. And again, this is why I love Dave Ramsey. I hate him because he's a liar, but I love him because he helped us get out of debt. Uh, Sarah, when we got married... And I don't know why we didn't do this before we got married. I was a little blindsided by it. But when I opened her purse, guess what I found in her wallet? Her wallet that's this thick. You want to know what? My wallet is this thick. Her wallet is this thick. Why? She had a credit card for every store in the mall. I mean, Bath and Body, The Limited, and whatever. Uh, all, every store in the mall. She had a credit card for. Plus, her parents didn't pay for her school. <laughs> so we had $50,000 worth of school debt to pay off. And Dave, I love Dave Ramsey because he helped that debt snowball. It works. And by God's grace, we lived off my salary. I was a youth pastor at a local church. We lived off my salary. And she was a teacher. She's got a master's degree uh, in uh, teaching kids to read. Uh, for kids that don't read so good and stuff. Zoolander, no. Okay, all right. Different time. She taught school, and we used her entire salary to pay off debt. One of the reasons that God was able to call me to plant a church was because we were debt-free, uh, young in our life. It took us two years, but we cut up every credit card. We paid off all of our school debt, uh, and, and by God's grace, man, it was just a beautiful thing. So I love Dave Ramsey for that reason. I hate him because he's a liar. I love him because the debt snowball works. You need to not be a slave to the lender. Right now in our country, people are enslaved. They cannot live freely. They cannot do what God calls them to do because the amount of debt and the amount of interest exacted on that debt keeps them locked up. And God doesn't want you to be locked up. God wants his people to be a free people, amen? 
Every week I'm proclaiming the gospel to you in hopes that theologically in the renewing of your mind you can be a free person in Christ Jesus. But there's a lot that aren't. So let's look at what God calls us to. And by the way, just so you know, and many of you have you've heard me say this over and over and over. Right? We don't take up offerings here. And we don't do, what do they call those campaigns? Capital campaigns. You know how many men, some of the elders have heard a man call me stupid in a boardroom one time. Because we're, we're not going to do that. His name was Steve Brown. He looked at me and was like, well, you can do whatever you want, but you're stupid. <laughs> why, why don't we do the, the thermometer, right, and color it in red? Because I have always believed, and I want you to believe That if God wants you to have something, if God wants to give a resource to you to steward, he is able to give that to you. You don't have to be a beggar. Right now, we have spent the last two years developing plans for phase two of this building here at the Ackworth campus. we got an elder meeting after church. We're going to be talking more about it. Our accountants are putting our financial package together uh, for the bank and our preliminary talks with the bank. Right, They'll loan up to two times your annual income, and they want 30% down. Guess how much money we have in the bank right now? 30% down. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, God's good. He gives us what we need in the moment that we need it. God's people should never be beggars. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on. Let's talk about money. Let's go. Now concerning the collection for the saints, God's people have always gathered together in the name of Jesus and their money has been tied from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God's Old Testament people are no different. And by the way, just so you know, we we talk about this tithe thing, which comes primarily from the Old Testament, but God's people in the Old Testament were actually Americans. They paid 27 to 35% of their annual income. They gave it to uh, the temple. They gave it to the priest, whether it was temple tax, whether it was paying for the pilgrimages. They had to, to be a good Jew. You had to take at least two pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths and for Passover. Uh, they, had, they paid the tithe, which is 10% of their income. And then they paid their first fruits offering. When the, when the field became, began to be white with harvest, when the, when the fruit began to show on the vine, they would go out and they would take those first fruits and they would give it to the Lord. Some 27 to 35% of their annual income, they happily gave to the Lord. Collect, the collection has always been a part of God's people because ministry takes money. Pastor Nick, stand up. Come on, stand up. Don't mind the Alabama shirt he's wearing. Pagan. Just take a look at his shoes. Pastor Nick likes nice shoes. You can sit down, Nick. He'll be sporting some Yeezys. I ain't got no Yeezys. Ministry, it's going to take a lot of money to support Nick's shoe fetish in Kennesaw. 
Come on, let's buy Nick some shoes. I'm kidding. It takes, Kennesaw is expensive. We're, man, he's, been, he's looked at 100 different buildings. Uh, it's expensive. By God's grace, we're going to dump a quarter million dollars into this Kennesaw plant this, uh, this next year and the year after that. Praise the name of the Lord. Right? Kennesaw needs the gospel. Kennesaw needs a church that's going to open the Bible, not occasionally, every Sunday so God's people can hear God's word. Amen? That's worth investing in. That's worth putting our dollars behind. That's worth the collection of the saints coming together, giving not just our words, not just our hands, not just our volunteer time, but putting our money where our mouth is. My goodness, this world is lost. Every time AOC, every time Tlaib or Omar opens their mouth, the world gets stupider. We, you're welcome. We need the gospel. We need the very words of God, not this nonsense. Amen. Now concerning the collection for the saints, we're going to start the sermon now, 18 minutes. <laughs> As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now we, can, we could go to, we're going to study Galatians after Zechariah before we get into Luke next year. I can't wait for second. Man, Zechariah is going to be awesome. Um, Gal Gal Galatians is too. <laughs> and Luke is going to be awesome. But this was not just for Corinth. We can go to Romans chapter 15, which by the way, two years ago, it's the last time we talked about giving at Four Points Church because it was in the text in Romans chapter 15. All the churches were giving Four P words I got for you. I'm going to give them to you now because I probably won't get through all of them. The first is the priority of giving. The second is the possibility of giving. The third we're going to see today from this text is the uh, practicality of giving. Before we get to the proportionality, you're, all you Baptists are welcome. Four P words, four points. Four Points Church. Thank you for laughing. I mean, God, it's somebody whip you with a wet towel this morning. What happened? Verse number two. On the first day of every week, the priority of giving. The first day is Sunday. Why don't we worship on Saturday like the Jews in the Old Testament? You know, of all Ten Commandments, keeping the Sabbath is one of those Ten Commandments, but it's also the only one not repeated in the New Testament. Instead, in Colossians 2 and other places, we're we, can, we can come together on a Friday night and honor God just as much as we do on Sunday mornings. Do you understand that? Be free in your religious convictions. It's not about the day of the week. It's about us coming together to worship Jesus. Jews did it on Saturday, which was the last day of the week. Christians began in the first century. Why do we meet on Sunday? Because Christians in the first century began to meet on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and that is Sunday, the first day of the week. And on that first day, we're to come together in our minds, having a plan for the collection of the saints. There is a priority. Listen, God doesn't need a tip. God is not some afterthought. 
We don't, we don't make our salaries and spend it on whatever it is that we want. And whatever is left, maybe we'll give some to God. No, there is a first fruits priority to giving. God comes first. In the Old Testament, when those fields began to show fruitfulness, the, the God's people would go into the field and they would pick all of those first fruits. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get the entire harvest and then eat all they wanted and jar everything else and, and sell in the marketplace first. No, they took the very first of the fruitfulness of their lives and they gave it to God. There is prior. God should be first in your life, in your heart, in your head, and in your wallet, amen? There is a priority that we give to God first. Number two, each of you, this is the possibility of giving. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 quickly. But listen, God, God doesn't say, hey, all you, right, we live in this world where it's rich versus the poor, and the rich should pay for everything. But that's not God's, God's system is fair, in God's system, everybody worships not only with their mouth, but with their wallets. Each of you, not just the rich, not just the wealthy. I'm so sick of the Marxist socialist nonsense that is happening in our country. Which, by the way, there's a little joke I heard this week. You know the difference between a socialist and a thief? Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I actually got a call from a church in Redlands, California, just about 40 minutes east of Los Angeles. They asked me to come uh, and interview to be their pastor, and I didn't even have to pray about it. <laughs> you think I'd live in that socialist hellscape? <laughs> Absolutely. They need Jesus, and watch the sermons online, but I ain't coming. <laughs> Good Lord, Gavin Newsom. I just want to punch that dude in the face. He is such a turd. What am I talking about? Giving. Here's why you should give. <laughs> Each of you. It doesn't matter if you're a top dog or if you're at the bottom of the barrel. Each of us have a responsibility to bring something to the Lord. Yes, our hands. Yes, our feet. Yes, our mouths as we praise and worship the Lord God. But also our money, the, the source of our livelihood. Each one of us should give. Paul brags on the churches in Macedonia. We want you to know, brothers, talking to this same church, a wealthy church, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. These people were an impoverished people, but it was a joy for them to give and to serve in the ministry of the biggest need uh, in the ancient world was the church in Jerusalem. Here's what we know about the church in Jerusalem. They were at least, the least amount of people that were gathering to worship Jesus was 8,120 people. We know there was 120 in the upper room. We know 5,000 got saved at Peter's first sermon. Another 3,000 got saved at his second sermon. All that's in Acts chapter 1 through chapter 4. But... If you know Jesus feeding the 5,000 and, and, and other stories of Jesus, they only counted the men. 
So there was probably 15 to 25,000 people, including the women and children in this church of Jerusalem. And this poor church loved that they were able to support and to give to the ministry that was happening at the church in Jerusalem, meeting all these needs. The churches in Macedonia were small house churches, but they loved supporting the ministry of, the, of Peter and John and Luke. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody asked them. Nobody showed a video of swollen belly babies in some third world country with flies on their eyeballs. Uh, you know, every time I see Tunnel to Towers commercials, I'm just like, Where, where's the phone? Give, give me my wallet. Because what, what an awesome organization that is. Who doesn't want to support uh, our veterans that have been hurt in harm's way? By the way, is Sam in here? Sam Jr.? I saw, saw did he leave? He just went to the bathroom? <laughs> Sam Jr. Is, is, is being shipped out. He's going to Kuwait. Very dangerous place. We're going to be praying for him as he serves our country and allows us to have this freedom to gather together to worship Jesus. Amen. We pray for all of our service men and our service women. Uh, I hope he's embarrassed that he's not here when I called his name. This is why we give. Right? Each one of you, just like the churches in Macedonia, they gave beyond their means to support the work of the ministry. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. There's a practicality. There he is, Sam Jr. <laughs> Woo! Hey, proud of you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? The strongest and bravest of our young people, man, on the front lines, it's just, we, we praise God, and we pray that you come home safe. Amen. Give. First day, there's a priority. First day of the week. Each, no one is exempt from giving. Everybody, each of you, practicality, store something, put something aside. Set it apart for the work of the Lord. This is what we should be doing. It's a very practical thing. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians uh, 9, verse 7. Each one of you must give as he, right? Here's why we don't have a time of giving worship. Here's why we don't have somebody on the, the piano or somebody in an organ sound behind the preaching. That's why we don't show videos of, of the impoverished and third world country. We do a lot of work in Ecuador, man. That country is jacked. Up. It is a third world country. It will make you cry if you ever have the opportunity to visit the churches and the work that we're doing there. You will weep because of the impoverished, uh, the poverty of the people. Why don't we show those videos here? Because there's a practicality to give. And you should set 
in your mind what you want to worship the Lord with. It should not be an exaction. No one should pull on your heartstrings. No one should uh, cause you to give under compulsion. That's what the Bible says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver. There's a practicality to how we worship the Lord, not just with our mouths, not just with our hands, but with our wallets. You should sit down with your spouse. You should decide what do we want to give from all that God has given us. What do we want to give back to him for his namesake and for the work of his ministry? You should want cheerfully be able to slip a check in the boxes in the back for the work of ministry that's happening here in Ackworth and in Cartersville and soon in Kennesaw and in Ecuador and everywhere else that we're planning churches. The work of the gospel must go forward. Listen, I have been personally studying Thessalonians. I've been in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a while now because I see... I see the deception, the great deception, as 2 Thessalonians call. We read from this just a couple of weeks ago in one of the sermons. I mean, can you believe our Ivy League schools are, are, are putting out an entire generation of people who would rather side with terrorists? I mean, it, there's a great deception and I've been to those schools. When my dad and I travel, we always, if there's an Ivy League school, we always uh, drop by. I've been, I've toured Harvard, I've toured Dartmouth, I've toured, toured William and Mary. And each time uh, I'm on those campuses, I go into the library and I open a book and I read a couple lines. And then I, uh, I can tell all my friends I studied at Harvard. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but these schools are, are turning out. Terrorist sympathizers. It's justified. It's justified for Hamas to, to break through a wall and to enter the homes of people who are enjoying their lunch or, or go into a concert where people are enjoying music and just start slitting throats and putting babies in ovens. It's totally justified in their minds. Here's what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. It's going to get worse especially after the restrainer is taken. I've been thinking a lot about the restrainer. Who's the restrainer? I believe the restrainer that keeps the man of lawlessness from setting up the kingdom of Satan on planet earth is God, the Holy Spirit, through the work of his church. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus told us that we are the salt of the earth. And what does salt do? Salt in the ancient world was a, a preserver. You would pack meat in salt to keep it from rotting, to keep it from spoiling. Whether you like it or not, this is who you and I are right now. Through the power of God's Spirit, we are the restraining force of God, keeping sin at bay, keeping the great deception at bay. But there's going to come a time where God removes the restrainer and the great deception we can already see how it could happen we can already see how entire generation can be pulled into believing what is false what is lie what is not truth why wouldn't you want to give to the restraining force of God's Holy Spirit in the world 
It's going to take money. It's going to, and, we, and we've got to be the people who God has called us to be. So on the first day of the week, each and every one of you, no one is exempt. Well, I'm in between jobs right now. No one is exempt. Each one of you, practical, set aside some money so that the work of Jesus Christ can continue in this world. And the last thing is the proportionality. You're going to get all four, three minutes. As he may prosper. Right? If somebody's a millionaire and they give $1,000, that's not generous. That's not in proportion. Now, somebody who makes $10,000 a year, they may give $1,000. And Jesus, like the woman with the two mites, right, at the temple, Jesus stands up and applauses this, this widow who puts her two pennies uh, into the, the coffer because she gave out of her great niece. She gave all that she had. God wants proportionality in our giving. We need to look at our nut, at, at what we make in the year, and we need to give a generous and cheerful uh, d- a donation from that in proportion with what we make. A millionaire obviously should give more than $1,000. A poor person, $1,000 may be uh, the most that they can give, but each one should give in proportion to the wealth that God has given them. Amen? Now watch this. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable, I should also go with, I should, all, I should go also, they will accompany me. Why, why is there a group taking this bag of coins that they've collected from the church in Corinth? Why, why is there a group taking this money to the church in Jerusalem? Because in the ancient world, right, if there's three bandits behind a rock and they look and they see that bag of coins, but there's 10 guys they're going to think twice before the three of them take on 10 guys. Amen? There's safety in numbers, which is why they, they went in groups. There's also accountability in groups. Amen? Uh, we want to know that bag of coins is the exact amount that when you give it to Jerusalem that, was, that left the Corinthian church, right? Uh, numbers bring that kind of accountability. And also, there was a lot of people taking these coins to Jerusalem because they wanted the fellowship. You can see in Paul's heart here, he doesn't want to just come by and exact an offering. He wants to spend time. He might even stay. He, he, he never got to do this. But he was like, I hope to even stay the winter with you and just love on you and be with you. There was camaraderie. There was unity in the New Testament church. They wanted to be together. One of the reasons I love this church and and anytime job opportunities come, anybody that does a decent job with anything are going to get job opportunities, amen? Uh, but there's no way. I told Sarah, there's, there's no way I would leave this church because of the relationship that we have together. It's been 15 years, 15 hard years. We've gone through so much together. Heartache, celebration, we've been through so much. Who wants to start over somewhere else, especially in dumb California? I don't know why, but the last two job offers I've gotten have been from California. God needs good preachers in California, I guess, which is true. California needs good preaching. What am I I talking about? Verse 5, I want you to see this. 
I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend, look at his language. This is how you should speak. I intend to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you that you may help me on my journey. Now remember in chapter 9, we talked, Paul didn't take anything from this church. Corinth was a wealthy area, much like uh, America, infomercial every five minutes on TV. Somebody's always trying to sell something. Paul didn't want to come into the Corinthian church as just another guy uh, who was looking for funding. But now that the church has grown, now that the church has matured in the gospel, Paul has absolutely no qualms about asking this church to support him and his future ministry journeys. It was the churches, right? Traveling was as expensive in the ancient world as it is today. Uh, it takes money to travel. It takes money to proclaim the gospel. Paul's like, now that you're planning, now that you're a little more secure, I need your help on my journeys. Fund this ministry that God has given me wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. This is the way we should all talk. Look at uh, James chapter, did I give you James chapter 4? I don't know if I, if I gave you that or not, but let's look. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. Listen, we all have great ideas. We all have great plans. We all have that business in the back of our head that we want to start. And, and, and we say things so matter-of-factly, but that, it's not for the Christian to speak with this kind of arrogance about their life, about what they're going to do, about what they're going to make. We should season all of our words with, if the Lord wills, if the Lord will help us. This is the way the humble Christian man, the Christian woman speaks. Nothing happens outside of the will of the Lord. We love him. We honor him. We worship him for his will that he is working out in our lives. We don't do anything. We're not responsible for any success we may have. It's the Lord who gives and it's the Lord who takes away. So by, in all of our speech, in all of our language, it is the will of the Lord. That should be the seasoning of our mouths. One last thing, real quick. I'm already past time, but let me read you this. Verse 8. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door, for effective... Now, we, we've read Ephesians. At the men's thing, just a couple months ago, we studied uh, the book of... No, we didn't. It was two years ago we studied the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is an amazing book. And if you've read Acts, uh, you, you know about Paul's time in Ephesus. Man, God did amazing things in Paul's ministry, in the life of the church that was planted. There were several churches planted in the, the city of Ephesus. He says, a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Here's what you need to prepare yourself for. When effective ministry occurs... Usually riots break out in the city where that ministry is happening. 
When Paul went to Ephesus, they had to sneak him out of the town because a riot broke out. People were mad because it was affecting their businesses. Uh, Simon the blacksmith uh, had a business where he made little trinkets for, the, for the, the temples in town. And nobody, people were listening to the gospel and they stopped buying the little trinkets from this blacksmith. So he got all the people riled up. Listen to me. There's going to come a day where your faith is going to be tested. You're going to show up at four. You guys know the way I preach. You're going to show up one day at four points, and there's going to be a bunch of weird-looking, rainbow, mentally ill people out there with signs. And you're going to have to make a decision. Do I believe what's true, or do I buckle under the weight of the world and what it wants to believe is true. Effective ministry brings a lot of haters. Just, and boy, don't you know, we've got some. There's a couple guys, they listen to every sermon I preach. Not because they like my sermons. It's so they can chew it up. And they, I mean, every podcast they do is somehow against our church and what I'm preaching. Effective ministry brings the haters out in groves. Prepare yourself. They're coming for you. They're in your family. They don't want you to believe what the Bible says. They don't want you to, to live out your convictions of, of what you read from Scripture. They want you to believe in their convictions. They want you to believe what they think. You know, I hate these places we find ourselves. I'm throwing Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse, and they're sitting across the table. Well, I feel like nobody gives a crap how you feel. <laughs> Amen. Truth is truth, regardless how you feel about it. And what does the Bible say? We, in our feelings, in our emotions, we're going to get it wrong like every other human being has. All we have is the eternal words of a God who speaks only truth because he is truth. No deceit can come out of his mouth. That's how I know the alphabet community is wrong. That's how I know it's wrong if you're cheating on your spouse. That's how I know you're wrong if you're not raising your kids in the very words of the Lord. We need this. And this is worth funding. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all the gifts that you have given us. May we continue to grow into faithful men of God and women of God who love you and will do anything for your gospel and your cause. In Jesus' name, amen.